0: Hey there, Deviants! hope you're enjoying the holiday season, but as we know, true crime is for all seasons. So enjoy this episode of Dark and Devious. <laughs>
1: Yeah, welcome back, Deviant. Um, it's been a hot minute, uh, but we're glad to have you here. Uh, as Chris mentioned, it is the holiday season. Um, I feel I'll... like
0: you can't you can not not say that, at, like, it's the holiday season, like, into that rhythm. I know, it's I was almost,
1: unintentionally... halfway through it, I was almost in, like, that rhythmic mode. <laughs> and I was like, does the world need to hear me sing? No, <laughs> no, no, no um but yeah as you said there's no season for true crime true crime is for every season unfortunately um but as sad that is to say at least we never run out of topic that's true um there's always a fascinating tale to be
0: told no matter the time of year
1: Mm -hmm. which um before we get into um too much of our personal banter i just want to Mention this right off the top of the episode. Have you heard about that college murder in Moscow, Idaho?
0: Yes. This has been a very freaky story. it I, is. And, and it sounds like what I know so far is that everybody appeared to be asleep when they were when they were murdered,
1: and that there are no leads. There are no leads. Um so Ethan Chapin, 20, Kaylee Gunkalves, 21, Jana Karnadl, 20, and Madison Mogan, 21, they were all found stabbed to death um, this past Sunday in their off-campus home near the University of Idaho. And to me, what is, I mean, yes, that's awful and scary, but the yeah. real the real scary thing is that there are two more roommates that were there that just survived. They just slept right through the whole thing,
0: right. Like, what happened? Was there an outside killer that didn't know that they were there, or were these people specifically targeted? I mean, but it's there also
1: been... four people stabbed to death which that's not quiet which means i think that this was like very calculated Mm -hmm. i think it's someone that knew the house they all four went without like many defensive wounds they're all caught very off guard um and the really really i mean it's sad but a really sad thing is that um, one of the victims didn't even live there. They were just stopping over for the night. Oh,
0: no. And they just that happened
1: is... to be there. That's always
0: so sad when it's just, when someone isn't a target because of any particular reason.
1: They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as of right now, investigators in Idaho, they don't have any leads. Um, there's just... Nowhere to go, it's just amazing. Either they're keeping it really close to chest, or there really are no leads. Um, so right, and
0: that I always wonder about that if there really is a lead and they're just not telling the public because they need to get more information. Because I, I mean, obviously, you don't want to be like that person's a suspect, and then everyone just like descends
1: on them, and then it turns right. out that they aren't actually the culprit. And then also, a lot of times, they don't want to reveal some. Very, like, intricate detail, like, something that only the killer or killers would know. Right. Because um, then you can use that in
0: the investigation or right. questioning later.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm definitely keeping my eyes on that story because it's it's very mysterious. It's very scary. and Right.
0: And also to be on, like, it's a college town and to have so many other young people in the area just feeling like they have to be extra on guard because who knows if this is some psycho out there or if this is somebody who targeted these people specifically. Right. For one reason or another.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I hope there's answers soon and I hope that everyone else in that town stays safe. The right. Absolutely. The, um, it's, it it sounds like
0: something out of like, it sounds like a scream plot.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Yeah. So, well, some very interesting true crime news there, mm-hmm. uh, but man, we have so much to catch up on. I mean, I am another year older. I had a birthday since the last time we, we chatted uh-huh. uh, and that all went super well. I had a really great time. Um, uh, Everyone was super sweet. I, I, it's so funny. Whenever I have people over, I always tend to end up with more wine than I started with somehow. <laughs> so, uh, not a bad problem to have. But I, I uh, have amassed quite a collection.
1: Oh, uh, you have enough vintage, um, beverage capsules to okay. <laughs> use on those wine. Yeah,
0: um, and. How was your Thanksgiving? You did some traveling? I stayed right here in Minnesota. I went just to the next town over and it was lovely. The food was all great.
1: Yeah. But you did you were jetting around. Yep. So we went up to my family where I grew up in Illinois. Um which pop quiz for anyone who's listened from the beginning, you should know the name of my town in tiny 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 townville. um went home family was good it was great seeing all my nieces and nephews um just a really relaxed laid-back day uh then I spent a few days there on the farm saw some old high school friends then we jetted over to Indianapolis Indiana where um my husband is kind of from he's from the area where we met up some of his old friends um from undergrad and then Went and spent a day in Chicago, and again more good time with friends. Uh, so it was, it was a good trip all around. Um, I
0: feel like you travel about a million times more than I do, and I'm very jealous of that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in two weeks I'm leaving again. So oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> uh, figures, typical jet set, Patrick.
1: Yes, living a vagabond life. Yes, um, um, you know
0: what's funny i while you were talking i just thought of something else a movie that i saw um since our our last time we spoke that is right up your alley and is sort of true crime related because it's all about cannibals <gasps> and it's this new movie called Bones and All.
1: Oh, I want to see it so much.
0: And you need to see this. It's like a totally messed up romance about um these two people who have this weird like cannibal ability like they eat people and it's like they it's like it's more like an ability and then it's it's weird cuz they they the the main girl she thinks that she's the only one but then it turns out there are others and so she starts finding these other people who have the same ability as her um and it has uh, and timothy chalamet is who i absolutely adore timothy call me anytime um he is one of the stars. and I think he does a really good job uh, acting in this one, especially. um i wa- I sat down and watched it with my my friend who is a a film critic. And we uh, we had vastly different um, opinions. I I think the cannibal aspect was really tough for him to get past. And there's a little bit. Of, it gets a little gruesome in a couple little spots. But me already being very well versed in cannibals, thanks to you, Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're welcome. Me. Plus, I d- I did read the book, so I kind of knew what to expect. And I I thought it did a very uh, nice job adapting it to the screen for a screen audience. So, um, yeah, I thought that was very fun and worth mentioning. Yeah. Uh, Bones and All, I, I think you'd really like it.
1: I It's funny you brought that up because just yesterday we went and we saw um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I
0: saw that on Thanksgiving with a couple of my friends.
1: I, I really liked it. I did too. I cried. I cried. It's- in the Ugh. beginning, I cried in the end. Like, I had to almost leave. <laughs> and the thing is, like... So, this shouldn't be a spoiler for anyone, but Chadwick Boseman, uh, main character from the original, passed away from cancer a few years ago. Um, And in this second one, there's a couple different times throughout the movie where the characters in the movie, like his family characters, mom, sister... Uh, just friends that were like family. Um, They mourn him in the movie. And for me.
0: That is it's it's very emotional.
1: It's very emotional. Like it's very subtle. It's not over the top. And I think. I. I kind of a theory that yes Chadwick did pass away a couple of years ago, but I feel like in those moments where those other actors in the movie were going through the morning stage. It probably wasn't a lot of acting because right. It was, it probably
0: felt very real because they lost somebody that was a, a real life friend.
1: You're right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, me being an emotional baby aside, <laughs> it was a very good movie. Um. And then after the movie, we almost did um a little naughtiness and we're going to jump into another theater um, oh. and, the, and the one that we were going to go to was Bones and All. Oh, um, I, but you were you were good and you didn't you didn't. I was like, I was a sweet baby angel because I need to be on Santa's nice list.
0: Oh, very true. Yes, it is good to be on the nice list it pays off.
1: hmm. Which I got my husband the perfect gift last week, and I'm so excited for him to open it. What'd you get him? I he listens to the podcast, Mister <laughs> Unger. I cannot.
0: So I was that was a test to see if you would just like
1: blurt it out. Kinds of edible I... panties. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh let's see how he likes those. Oh boy,
0: we'll um, like have to like
1: text me a video of him. <laughs> um. But yeah. Was, um. I'm not a big Christmas person, but for some reason this year I am. Like, I mean, I have three Christmas decorations. One is a lit up corgi dog that's outside.
0: Oh, those are really cute. I've seen
1: those at the store. And and then we have a black Christmas tree. Oh, Uh, how perfect. How appropriate. A six foot one for inside and a three foot one outside that light up.
0: Cute. Okay.
1: And then I left up all my purple Halloween lights because I was like, hey, who says Christmas lights can't be spooky? They so, can be whatever color you want. So those are up. So it's kind of like a morbid Christmas in my house. Um, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, for some reason, every day, like I just want to hear Christmas music. And this is not like me, Chris. I don't know what's happening. I think I'm possessed. I, it Very well could be. Or I'm, maybe you're, uh, well, weren't you talking about
0: the... um? one of the haunted houses you talked about was a mm-hmm. scary Christmas. Maybe that's what's living inside your heart is that, cause you said it was like classic Christmas music was playing in the background and everything was all decorated up. So maybe that's what you're, what you're
1: channeling. I mean, I don't hate it. If that's it's what's like, going okay, on. Who
0: wants to wrap the body under the tree?
1: mm mm-hmm. um, But yeah. Yeah. Um it's been a good holiday season. That's,
0: that's good. And we're smack dab in the middle of it. We're almost halfway between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be here before we know it. I I was very pleased that I actually got my tree set up yesterday. Uh, And it's super cute. It's like uh, my partner says that it looks like a bookstore Christmas because it's in the corner of this room that, that's just like lined with books. Yeah, so it's like it it does look very much, very much like that. So it's cute, but I I'm very proud of myself. I I've been proactive and I've gotten a lot of gifts checked off my list. Nice. So, um, the only other thing I really wanted to mention that was kind of fun are the concerts that I went to. Oh yeah. Um, I just, this past weekend, I saw one of my favorites and I actually did a meet and greet. Like I was willing to shell out a little bit extra to do the meet and greets. Uh, and it's Grayson chance who's a singer from Oklahoma. Um, he's probably most famous for as a child. Um, he was really amplified on, Ellen's show and uh, was known for doing this amazing piano cover of paparazzi Um, got really, really famous really quick um, and then went the whole fame roller coaster. Well, now years later, he's a grown man and he is so cute and so nice and just a really phenomenal artist. Um, So, Check him out, Grace and Chance. When you're done listening to the podcast, stream some of his music. He's wonderful. Uh, and then I also saw on Minnesota Artist um, Trampled by Turtles with my friend David. So shout out to David for getting us tickets to see Trampled by Turtles. I feel and- like that'd
1: be a very slow and painful death.
0: <laughs> I really want to know the story behind, uh, behind that banding mm-hmm. but they are they're a hoot too they they're super fun to watch they like there's a lot of fiddle in a lot of this stuff that they that they play and man they just wail on that fiddle like i'm amazed that there are any strings left at the end of that concert very cool <laughs> very fun but you also have a concert to share right
1: i have a concert and a show um Ooh, okay So just before Thanksgiving, uh, two weeks before Thanksgiving, we went to Houston for two nights uh, and we saw Blackpink, which is the um, second biggest K-pop group um, in the world. I I recognize, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I
0: have seen some of their stuff come through at Barnes & Noble.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Lots of
0: K-pop stuff and they're big
1: they are huge. Um so we saw them in Houston, it was a blast. Um it was by far probably my favorite concert ever. Um it was just great, such a good performance. And then the show that we saw was the following weekend, um we went to a live podcast here in Austin for the podcast That's Why We Drink. Uh, oh my
0: gosh, that sounds like super fun. How have you not mentioned
1: this podcast to me before? Um, so it's hosted by two two really good friends named M and Christine, and Christine uh was also in their headline. Is hosted by M Christine and boxed wine, but <laughs> <laughs> um, Christine always covers like a real life awful story, like murder, familicide, something terrible, and she drinks wine, and then M always covers something like supernatural. So like UFOs or hauntings or cryptids. And she doesn't drink alcohol. So she's always having like a milkshake or chocolate milk. Um, That's cute. I like that. Yeah. And they're like, we're drinking this week because these terrible things are in our head. Um, yeah, It was, their show was good. Um, I wasn't as fulfilled as I wanted it to be. Um, normally at their shows, one they each tell a story, you know, about thirty minutes each. Where this one, um, they went on a paranormal excursion. Um, I guess I can probably just say it because their tour is done. So they went and they stayed in the Queen Mary and went ghost hunting for. Oh, a okay, that's pretty cool. It was cool.
0: It sounds like you wanted more of you wanted some more true crimey kind of stuff.
1: I did. Less
0: of the paranormal. Okay.
1: I like paranormal That's... stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean I, obviously. I was just like, looking
1: for- <laughs> I was just looking forward to like their usual format. Yeah, CNS, so my- it was a little little different. It was a little different, but we enjoyed ourselves anyways. It was a good time. Okay, good. Um but yeah. So and it was really cool because then that week later cuz they record ahead of time cuz they're smart. <laughs> so they don't get behind. Yeah. And A week later, they were talking about their upcoming show in Austin. And I was like, oh, I was there. Um, But yeah, that was my little fun entertainment.
0: That's awesome. Uh, So yes, as you listeners can can tell, we've been very busy boys. And We uh, uh, we hate being away from the podcast. But during this crazy time of the year... Sometimes it's it just ha- that's the thing that gives.
1: Yeah, um, last holiday season, I don't know how we did it. We got through a new episode every week. I um, we
0: are crazy. We are crazy people. That is that's the only thing I can think of that explains that.
1: <laughs> uh, but I'm glad to be back. And um, for this week, the first week of December, I was thinking. Um, you know, what are some like Christmassy crimes? What are some Hanukkah crimes, Kwanzaa crimes? (laughs) Um, and then I remembered a case that I've never really forgotten about. It's not necessarily holiday focused, but it does have Christmas adjacent elements
0: oh okay this is sounding very interesting christmas adjacent elements so hmm well i i can't think of what this case could be
1: so well it's a pretty big one and i'm almost there's no doubt in my mind that you do not note it but it is a heavy hitter that needs to be covered all right heavy hitter time okay chris so um as mentioned this is not a holiday themed episode but the tale i'm telling you today uh takes place around a pretty big holiday that's celebrated here in the united states and a lot of places around the globe and this is a case that grabbed the i know grabbed the country's attention i'm sure it went international it a very big case there's a lot of unanswered questions there are a lot of sleuths that think they have the right answers no one's gonna ever know other than the people involved unfortunately is how this is gonna end and this takes place during our childhood Oh my so, gosh,
0: okay, this is, this, you, you're like teasing me, I'm on yeah. the edge of my seat, like, okay, holiday adjacent, heavy hitter, uh, national case, what could it possibly be?
1: Well, as mentioned in the banter, this is a case that has been covered many, many times, but it is a case that I don't think will be forgotten, but I definitely don't think that it should be forgotten ever, and I'm going to recap the tragic murder and possible cover-up of John Wayne Ramsey.
0: Okay, yes, I mean this is one of the biggest true crime cases of the '90s, and mm-hmm. yeah, that little girl's face was on the cover of every tabloid. I mean. This is the type of story that really grabs headlines, gets everybody's attention. Uh, it's a very, very interesting case. And you are so right. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to know the the full truth about
1: this case. Right. <clears throat> um, and before we dive into that aspect, which... We could probably talk a whole episode about that. Um, let me just give you first a pretty quick breakdown of John JonBenet's tragic death. And then we can get into, you know, all the elements leading up to it, the theories, things of interest about people that were close to John JonBenet that are a little suspicious now that we look at it. We'll get into all of that. But John, Pen- John Benet Patricia Ramsey, who was born on August 6th of 1990, uh, for those who are not aware, she was an American child beauty queen who was killed at the age of six in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. A long handwritten ransom note was found in the home. Her father, John, Found John Bonet's body in the basement of their house about seven hours after she had been reported missing. She had sustained a broken skull from a blow to the head and had been strangled. A garrote was found tied around her neck. The autopsy reported that John Bonet's official cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation associated with the cranio- craniocerebrial trauma. So brain that's injury. a mouthful to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Head injury, yeah. That's the uh, layman's terms. John Bonet's death was ruled a homicide. The case generated worldwide public and media interest in part because of her mother, Patsy Ramsey, a former beauty queen, who had entered John Binet into a series of child beauty pageants, which, um, you know in my opinion, child beauty pageants are very problematic. Yeah, I I definitely
0: think, especially at, like, the age of six, like, and I mean, she was, like, winning titles, I'm sure, younger than that. And then... Uh-huh. And it's like, you are setting them up that, like, this is the most important thing in your life. I mean, yes, I think it's really sweet and fun to dress up and do all those cutesy little girly things uh, but when it's that when it's taken that seriously uh, I have it has the potential to do a lot of of kind of emotional damage because if like you're teaching them that this is the most important
1: thing is to be pretty yes very much so Um, and I think a lot of times when you have children at a young age that are in highly competitive things um, whether it be beauty pageants cheering sports when their parents get them started at like the age of like three and you know devote their life into their children's activities it definitely um, maybe it's for the parent's purpose not so much for the child
0: right it's like i love uh, i love it if like a parent is supportive it's like okay your kid wants to do gymnastics or whatever or baseball and that they are like 100 percent supported like they'll they'll take them to all their practices like they they you know hire private trainers and stuff like that like that's great um but when it becomes kind of more about the parents and like like in this case I really feel like Patsy Ramsey was trying to like extend her beauty queen career through her daughter that's kind of what it feels like
1: very much so
0: when when parents start trying to live out their fantasies through their children like
1: that that's pretty problematic uh just a little bit but anyways, regardless of her being a child beauty pageant contestant or not, this crime is still considered a cold case and remains an open investigation with the Boulder Police Department to this day.
0: Which is absolutely crazy to have a high profile case like this because the Ramses, they like, they were well-to-do folks in the community, like. They were, like, they had money, they had power in the community. And to have a murder in the family go unsolved for this long? 26 years. It's it's wild. Like, it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yes, I agree. But um, before we get into the details of the murder and all the suspects... Let's just get to know John Binet's family a little bit. So John Binet was born, as mentioned, on August sixth of nineteen ninety in Atlanta, Georgia. She was younger of two children of Patricia or Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. So I didn't know this until researching this, but her name, John Binet, is a combination of John Bennett and then her middle name, Patricia is actually her mother's first name.
0: Yeah. It's a little weird when it's like, Oh, I'm using like my name to give you your name or it's like, it almost feels like you're not giving them a chance to really be their own person. exactly, Even even right from the start.
1: Yeah. So John Bennett, uh, as mentioned, was the younger of two children, and she did have an older brother named Burke, who was born in 1987. Binet's first name, as mentioned, combines her father's middle name, first and middle name, and her mother's was her middle name. Um, so I don't know why Burke was special and got his own name, but <laughs> but there's that. And John Bonet was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder, Colorado. When um her body was found, and after all the autopsies and investigations had been exhausted, she was buried at St. James Episcopal Cemetery in Marietta, Georgia, on December 31st, which I find interesting because they did establish a home in Boulder, Colorado. So I'm assuming this is something similar to my own personal family, where there is a cemetery that has plots, you know, for family members. Family family Mm -hmm. plot area, yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, she was buried. So this is a pretty horrific murder for a six-year-old, which, again, she was found the day after Christmas, December 26th. And she was buried on December 31st.
0: That seems like a real quick turnaround. Yeah. Especially for, when you needed to do like an autopsy and stuff.
1: And especially for a murder investigation.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So she, interesting enough, actually had a half sister named Elizabeth Ramsey, who died in a car crash five years earlier at the age of 22. So pretty big age discrepancy there. Yeah, that is that is weird. And because she has the last name Ramsey, I can only be led to the conclusion that this was his, her father's daughter with another woman from a previous time in his life.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that is right. Cause I, I mean, I, I have definitely heard podcasts about this case and I, I I think they do mention the half sister and that it was kind of, I think they mentioned it being kind of like weird circumstances with, because you said it was a car accident right yeah but I, I thought i remember hearing something about it being kind of unusual circumstances and i don't i don't remember what they were if or if that was just sort of like a oh isn't it strange that all of this guy's daughters
1: are mm. like end up dead yeah and and more we'll get there so her parents john ramsey was a businessman who was the president of Access Graphics, a computer software company that later became a subsidiary of Lockheed Martin, which someone knows that name, <laughs> some <laughs> company, but yeah. it seemed like it was a pretty important um, company at the time.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Lockheed Martin is one of the like top companies in the United States. They... They usually have a lot of government contracts because they do a lot of, um, like, airplane. Oh, okay. Uh, like, manufacturing. And, and oftentimes there's, like, defense contract stuff. Like, they'll be... They work on, like, um, planes for the military and as well as, I'm sure, commercial... Jets and stuff like that, but they're a pretty big deal. It's a huge company.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, now I know, and now our (laughs) listeners know. Thank you, Chris. Um, it was in 1991 that John and Patsy moved their children, Jean-Benet and Burke, to Boulder, where Access Graphics headquarters was located, which was the reason for relocating from Atlanta to Boulder. Patsy Ramsey, as mentioned, entered John Bonet in various child beauty pageants in the Boulder area and also around the country. She won many titles, including America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Char Boy, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty.
0: <laughs> it's so funny. Like, there are so many little, like, <laughs> modifiers there. <laughs> there like, are. They're like so little and tiny and beauty, beautiful. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. But yet, there are children, and we're going to have them do a swimsuit competition.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird.
1: So, John Bonet's active role in child beauty pageants and Patsy's reported uh, title as a self like absorbed pageant mother this was reported by the media after the murder which only made the case explode even more
0: i mean it does sound like you could not have like if you were a television writer like you could not create a more like perfect uh like suspicious family
1: i know in the summer of 1997, so uh, five years, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, five months after John Binet's death, uh, the Ramseys moved to a new home back in Atlanta after a summer at their vacation retreat in Charlevoix, Michigan, which I can only imagine, you know, their baby girl was found dead in their house in Colorado. I don't think you could How go could into that look? room and never think about that. Yeah. So.
0: I also wonder, like, I assume the house is still there somewhere. Like, It is. How weird would that be to be like, oh my gosh, I love this house, but why is it so cheap?
1: (laughs) But I mean, also, this is such a highly known case. It could be really expensive, too.
0: That's true. I guess, you know, sometimes those notorious locations are actually more expensive because... Of their
1: reputation, yeah,
0: yes, that's the word.
1: And sad as it is, um, Patsy Jamone's mother did pass away from ovarian cancer at a, a pretty young age. She was only forty nine, and that was in two thousand six. And she was interred next to her daughter John Bonet in that cemetery in Georgia. So according to statements that Patsy gave to authorities on December 26 of 1996, she realized that her daughter was missing after she found a a two-and-a-half-page handwritten ransom note on the kitchen staircase at the Ramsey's family's Boulder residence. The note demanded um, an exact $118,000, which is equivalent to $204,000 today, John pointed out to the police first on the scene that the amount was nearly identical to his Christmas bonus from the prior year, which suggested that someone who would have have access to that information would be involved in the crime. Investigators looked at several theories behind the dollar amount demanded, considering employees at Access Graphics who may have known of the amount of John's prior bonus. They also considered the possibility that the ransom demand was a reference to Psalm 118 and spoke to religious sources to determine possible relevance. The ransom note appears to echo film dialogue. The film Ransom, Escape from New York, Speed, and Dirty Harry all have similar styled notes. Well, that is something that I had not heard of.
0: It's like mm-hmm. hmm, check their DVD collection, or I guess it was it was
1: the nineties, so check their VHS collection, <laughs> or possibly Beta. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, when you think of ransom notes, they're usually um, pretty short. Um, you think of like I have, I have so and so. Meet me here with with so-and-so dollars or else but this one was unusually long
0: yeah it was and it was wasn't it on like a legal pad so it like
1: it filled up like
0: you it filled up like two pages of this legal pad paper which is already longer than normal
1: Mm -hmm. um which we'll get to that legal pad But the FBI told the police that it was very unusual for such a note to be written at the crime scene. So this was not pre-written. It was actually from a notepad that was in the Ramsey's house and a pen that was in the Ramsey's home.
0: Yeah, which seems weird that it would be like, oh, you know what? While I'm at it, while I'm committing this crime, let me just leave a little note but I've got a lot to say. Like, where is is a pad of paper
1: and uh, a pen just Mm -hmm. lying around? Right. The police believe that the note was staged because it did not have any fingerprints other than Patsy's who had handled it and found it on the stairs. According to a Colorado Bureau of Investigation report, there were indications that the author of the ransom note was Patsy Ramsey herself. However, the evidence fell short of a definitive conclusion.
0: And that's the thing about handwriting analysis is that, like, you can only kind of be so sure. Um, I think I remember hearing something like that that handwriting experts said something of, of like, it's like a 90% match for her handwriting. But, like, if she really did write the ransom letter then uh, you're probably trying to disguise your handwriting at least a little bit I would hope (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you're probably writing it in a hurry
1: so it might not be an exact match exactly especially if you're committing this crime you're wanting to get this long note written without being caught are you going to be using perfect penmanship or are you gonna be a little sloppy who knows right
0: I mean I think it, if I were trying to cover up a crime I would use like my opposite hand
1: you know mm-hmm. yeah but who knows what criminals think Michael Baden a board certified forensic pathologist who would consult with both sides of the case, said he'd never seen a note like it in his 60-year experience, and that he did not think it was written by an outside stranger. However, a federal court ruled it highly unlikely that Patsy wrote the note, citing six certified handwriting experts. The court bemoaned the existence of self-proclaimed experts without credentials, trying to wrangle their way into the case by accusing Patsy without scientific basis. And then as for the note, here it is in it's full. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We do respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want to see her in 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You'll withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in 20s. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attached to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of these instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you. So I advise you not provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation such as police, FBI, etc. will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you taking or to catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but we warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures, and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now. And then it's signed, Victory, SBTC.
0: So so weird. It's all over the place. It's so unnecessarily wordy. And like this, whoever wrote this ransom note needed an editor because all you really need to is to say, we have your daughter, follow these instructions. Right. She's dead. Like, but of course, by the time they got this ransom letter, she was already
1: dead. Exactly. So, but I mean, is it really that far-fetched to think someone requesting ransom is not going to falsely lead you to thinking that there's hope on the other side?
0: Well, and the the thing that doesn't make sense to me is where they find Jean Monnet like would would they really think that this that Mr. Ramsey would have followed the instructions like like they're not gonna search the house
1: who's and, not and gonna search the house
0: that the um that the family wasn't gonna
1: oh, like they wouldn't the look for their daughter around,
0: yeah, and it like <laughs> how big is this house that they, they think like, oh, she's going to go undiscovered.
1: Right. I mean, it was a big house and you'll hear where she was found is in a, it's in a place where she shouldn't have been. So it's not like your initial thought to search there. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll get into that in a little bit here, but I get what you're saying.
0: Yeah, it's it really does feel like... The ransom note is a red herring.
1: Yeah. Yep. So the only people known to be in the house on the night of John Bonnet's death were her immediate family, which was Patsy and John and her brother Burke. The ransom note contained specific instructions against contacting police and friends. However, Patsy telephoned the police at 5:52 AM. She also called family and friends. Two police officers responded to the 911 call and arrived at the Ramsey home within three minutes. They conducted a cursory search of the house, but did not find any sign of forced entry.
0: That's the first thing that's really suspicious. It is. First of many things.
1: Officer Rick French went to the basement and came to a door that was secured by a wooden latch. He paused for a moment, but then walked away without opening it. <laughs> Just which, great police. Good job. Operation. Yeah, yep. good job, investigative team. There
0: couldn't possibly be anything behind. Like, I'm here to search, but not that well. Not that closely.
1: Right. Um, so, Officer French later explained that he was looking for an exit route used by the kidnapper, which the closed... uh door with the latch on the outside ruled that out which that was his reasoning for not furthering investigating going into that room which
0: okay still but like i feel like you've got to have at least a curious mind if you're investigating like uh uh-huh look everywhere
1: yes um and um side note can you guess what was behind that locked door
0: um i'm gonna go with a murder victim's body.
1: You win a golden ticket because mm. John Binet's body was later discovered, found behind that door.
0: Mm-hmm. And what I think is interesting is that it was not a a uh, law enforcement officer that found her there.
1: Nope, nope. And we will get there. Mm-hmm. With John Binet still missing, her father made arrangements to pay the ransom. A forensic team was dispatched to the house. The team initially believed that John Binet had been kidnapped and that her bedroom was the only room in the house that was um cordoned off to prevent contamination of evidence. No precautions were taken to prevent contamination of evidence in the rest of the house.
0: Again, swell idea. Like you should have just been like, okay, take everybody out of the house. Yep. We're going to put you up in the ho- in a hotel for the the week or what or however long it takes to process this crime scene and there will like and nobody goes in or, in or out of this house unless they are there for a very specific reason
1: right and then this will even floor your mind even more because as john benet's bedroom was the only room that was off limits friends Victim advocates and the family's church members arrived at the home to show support where they were being very helpful by picking up, cleaning surfaces in the kitchen, taking out trash for the family, possibly and probably destroying evidence.
0: Yeah, like, oh, here, let's just let's just lemon pledge this entire place from floor to ceiling.
1: Let's scrub every fingerprint off these counters. Yes. Where the ransom note was found. Yeah. Boulder detective Linda Arndt arrived at the house around 8 a.m. in anticipation of receiving further instructions by the kidnappers, but there was never any attempt by anyone to claim the money. It was at 1 p.m. So remember Patsy called around 5 in the morning Mm -hmm. and it is now 1 p.m. So six, seven hours later. Detective Arndt asked John Ramsey and Fleet White, a family friend, to search the house to see if anything seems amiss.
0: (laughs) Be like, oh yes, you people who are not actual investigators, just go ahead and muss around the house.
1: Yeah, why not? Rummage things up, turn things over, make a mess of it. Yeah. Uh, interestingly they started their search in the basement john opened the latch door which officer french had overlooked and found his daughter's body john mouth was covered with duct tape a nylon cord was found around her wrists and neck and her torso was covered by a white blanket he picked up her body and ran upstairs
0: uh, the stupidest, like you know, when you discover a body, you never touch the body.
1: Like, yeah, oh, it's
0: just like the stupidest thing you could do. And it's like even an amateur.
1: But as go. a as a devil's advocate, you find someone you love very very much. How do you not try to? touch them, move them, shake them awake. How do you not do that? You know, imagine finding your, you don't have children, but let's say you do. Imagine (laughs) finding your six-year-old daughter who has a cord around her neck and you don't try to save her.
0: I feel like it would be very obvious that whether she had any bit of life in her or not, like i could see maybe like touching the body but like like to just to see if they're like cold or not because if they're cold there's there's nothing you can do but yeah it just makes me think of like the the first thing that i would hope would start going through my mind after knowing that they are in fact dead is be like i can't touch anything else because we need to find out who did this to them.
1: Yes. I like your thinking, but I think- Maybe it's I'm just, being too it, logical. It's just, you are being too logical. I'm going to call <laughs> you out because it is okay. just, it's just human nature. You find someone that you love, you're not going to try to save them, even no matter how dead they look. I don't know. I do have thoughts on this family, but- And we'll get to people of interest later, but let's say- her father was not involved i think it's just a natural reaction now if he was involved that's a different story right so um as our listeners can guess when her body was moved uh, that whole scene was contaminated and critical forensic evidence was disturbed and following this for the next couple of weeks, um, both the Ramsey parents provided handwriting samples, blood samples, hair samples to the police. They participated in preliminary interviews uh, for hours on end, and even John Binet's brother Burke was also interviewed um, because they had to look at every every person that was in the house that night.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, did you hear anything? Did you see anything? you know anything anything that you can remember might make a difference um and the the thing that i that is tough about this case though when trying to figure out um you know like cuz if john ramsey disturbed the body if they find a hair like you know like a hair sample of his on, on his daughter's body like was that from the crime itself or was that when he picked up the body? um,
1: Or was it when he tucked her into bed the night before?
0: Right. Yeah. Like, it's like, this is your house. Your DNA is everywhere. Like, I'm sure there are little like hair follicles of me, like in every room of my house. So like, when the crime scene is your own home, it's really hard to write you off as a uh, person of interest because your dna is pretty much guaranteed to be there
1: exactly but it's also a very easy scapegoat it's your house why wouldn't your dna be everywhere
0: exactly yeah it it's hard to to prove you guilty or innocent one way or the other
1: so following discovery of john Binet's body obviously there's an autopsy And the autopsy revealed, um, as I mentioned earlier, that she was killed by strangulation and a skull fracture. But there was no evidence of conventional sexual assault, although they could not rule that out. Although no semen was found, there was evidence that there had been vaginal injury. At the time of the autopsy, the pathologist recorded that it appeared that her um, vaginal area had been wiped with a cloth
0: that is a
1: little weird it is a little weird more than a little weird mm-hmm. the garrote that was made from a length of nylon cord and the broken handle of a paintbrush was tied around john venet's neck and had apparently been used to strangle her Part of the bristle end of the paintbrush was found in a tub containing Patsy's art supplies. But the bottom third of it was never found despite extensive searching of the house by police in subsequent days.
0: Hmm, maybe it ended up in the trash that all of those thoughtful friends and family took out for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And... This next piece of evidence found by the autopsy is something that has always grabbed me about this case. They discovered within JonBenet's stomach there was vegetable or fruit material, which was most likely pineapple, which JonBenet had eaten a few hours before her death. Photographs of the home taken on the day when her body was found show a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table with a spoon in it. However, neither John nor Patsy said they remember putting the bowl on the table or feeding pineapple to John Binet. Police reported that they found John Binet's nine year old brother, Burke. Um, his fingerprints were on the bowl. The Ramses have always said that Burke slept through the entire night until he was awakened several hours after the police arrived. Now, here's my thing with this. So Burke's fingerprints were on the bowl of pineapple that both John and Patsy don't remember ever giving to her. She's six. Not a lot of six jewels have the uh, hand coordination to use a can opener to open up a can of pineapple, let alone cut up a fresh pineapple.
0: <laughs> Wait, that, that would be some um, pretty I don't know, highfalutin kind of child, be like, oh, I only eat fresh pineapple. I right. I have to cut it myself.
1: Right. Um, so if John and Patsy didn't give it to her and their fingerprints aren't on the bowl, and we're assuming John Vinet can't really get herself fresh or canned pineapple, but Burke's fingerprints are on the bowl, does that mean Burke and John Vene were up in the middle of the night together? Since it was only a few hours before she was murdered. Because it's not like she had it at 7 p.m. the night before. You know, she. Yeah, was...
0: like when that bowl of pineapple got put out, I think is a.
1: And who put an it out? Interesting.
0: Yeah. And where I makes me wonder like, were there any other fingerprints on that bowl? Like, any, Not that and they I've found?
1: Done? Okay. So. Hmm. And also, um, they said that Burke slept through the entire night until he was awakened by police several hours later how can they prove that if both john and patsy themselves said that they woke up to the ransom note they didn't wake up in the middle of the night
0: that is true like if there is no way for them to know unless they had like a motion sensing camera in it's the hallway
1: 92
0: no it's uh, it's later than that
1: no it's not
0: no, it's
1: like ninety six. Ninety six. He was born in nineteen ninety. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety-six. We didn't have
0: Yeah, there was no way that they had anything like that. So there is a there's a big hole in, in their story there that if they claim that they were asleep all night, mm-hmm. how could they be certain that their son was asleep all night? Right. I mean, and also th- this is a a kid on wasn't this what Christmas Eve?
1: It was Christmas. She was found on Christmas uh, the 26th. She was murdered on Christmas.
0: Okay, so this was Christmas. So, like, what kid is, like, is not just, like, super excited to, like, get up and play with his new toys? Exactly. Like, I, I, can't, I really have a hard time believing that a child would be like, Mm, yep, that was a big day. I'm just gonna sleep nonstop through the night for, like, what? 10 hours. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, there's some suspicious things there.
1: Just a bit. In December of 2003, so what is that? Seven years later, forensic investigators extracted enough material from mixed blood samples found on John Bonet's underwear to establish a DNA profile. That DNA belonged to an unknown male person. And excluded the DNA of each of the Ramses.
0: That is interesting mm-hmm. and honestly encouraging because like nobody wants the parents to be the ones responsible for the death of their own child, right. Um, but that just that makes so many more questions come up. um, and then also kind of, I feel like still implicates them in some way like i feel like that whoever is truly responsible i feel like the Ramses are maybe covering up for them or are maybe they're being blackmailed for something else and like they kind of have to play along with this whole ransom angle in order to like i don't know not have something worse happen i don't know it's That's kind of the vibe that I get from this, this whole mess, because like, obviously there is a big question mark
1: with this DNA sample. Well, just hold on to your theories, Chris, because we still got to get through the investigation. (laughs) Um, So this DNA was submitted to the FBI's Combined DNA Index System, otherwise known as CODIS which is a database containing more than 1.6 million DNA profiles, but the sample did not match any profile within the database. Then, in October of 2016, a report said that new forensic analysis with more sensitive techniques revealed that the original DNA contained genetic markers from two individuals other than Pinet. James Kolar, Who is a lead investigator for the DA's office? Said that there were additional traces of male DNA found on the cord and the paintbrush that Boulder District Attorney Mary Lacey did not mention, and that there were six separate DNA samples belonging to unknown individuals that were found by the test. Former FBI profile Candace DeLong believes that the DNA, having shown up identically in several different places on multiple surfaces, belongs to the killer. Former Adams County, Colorado District Attorney Bob Grant has assisted the Boulder DA's office on the case for many years and also believes that the DNA evidence is significant, saying that any resolution of the case would have to explain how the DNA showed up on several pieces of John Bonet's clothing. Forensic pathologist Michael Baden said trace amounts of DNA can get on places and clothing from all different non-suspicious means and that there is no forensic evidence to show that this is a strange or a murder by a stranger.
0: Still I think if we could pinpoint who that person is excuse me. If we can pinpoint who that stranger is or, or take two. Still if we can pinpoint who that dna belongs to at least we can look at what their relationship to the family is because if it's just like a total like random person versus somebody that's like oh this person was close to them it was an associate um they that had been in the house uh, that can totally change the game
1: yeah and at least
0: at least give us something to look at or maybe some more people to question
1: mhm experts media commentators and the ramseys have identified potential suspects in the case boulder police initially focused almost exclusively upon john and patsy but by october 1997 they had over 1600 people of interest
0: holy crap that's a lot of people and how do you even begin to narrow that down
1: i have no idea errors that were made in the initial investigation complicated the resolution of the investigation and applicable theories those errors included loss and contamination of evidence lack of experience and technical staff evidence that was shared with the ramseys that should not have been disclosed
0: oh yeah that is a big one
1: yeah And delayed informal interviews with the family members. Lou Smith was a detective who came out of retirement in early 1997 to assist with this case. In May of 1998, he presented his findings to the Boulder Police with other staff members of the DA's office, concluding that the evidence pointed away from the Ramseys. They were unable to successfully challenge the police department's beliefs that the Ramseys were guilty. The DA's office sought to take control of the investigation, and due to the animosity between the police and the DA's office and the pressure to obtain a conviction, uh, Colorado's governor at the time interceded and named Michael Kane as a special prosecute to initiate a grand jury.
0: I take it not the actor Michael kane
1: No. <laughs> not to my knowledge. <laughs> Michael Kane <laughs> Just, uh... Just stepping into a new role. So, two of the lead investigators in the case had opposing views. Both Lou Smith and Steve Thomas ultimately resigned. Smith, because he believed that the investigation had incompletely overlooked the intruder hypothesis, and Thomas, because the DA's office had interfered with and failed to support the police investigation into the family. A grand jury was convened beginning in September of 1998 to consider indicting the Ramseys for charges relating to the case. In 1999, the grand jury returned a true bill to charge the Ramseys with placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death and with obstructing an investigation of murder, based on the probable cause standard applied in such grand jury proceedings. But Boulder County District Attorney Alex Hutt did not prosecute them because he did not believe that he could meet the higher standards of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: And and that's one of those things, unfortunately, like you have to consider is that you can have an inkling, but you need to you need to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt and. For this particular case, that is not an easy task.
1: No, it's not. Mary Lacey, the next Boulder County District Attorney, took over investigation in December of 2002. In April 2003, she agreed with a federal judge who sat on the 2022 libel case uh, that evidence in the suit is more consistent with a theory that an intruder murdered John Bonet than it was with a theory that Mrs. Ramsey or Mr. Ramsey did. In July of 2008, the Boulder District Attorney's Office announced that as a result of newly developed DNA sampling and testing techniques, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in the case. In February of 2009, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner announced that Stan Garnett, the new Boulder County attorney, Was turning the case over to his agency and that his team would resume investigating it. Garnett found that the statute of limitations for the crimes identified in the 1999 grand jury True Bill had expired and did not pursue review of the case against the Ramseys. In 2010, the Boulder Police reopened the cold case. New interviews were conducted following a fresh inquiry by the committee that included state and federal investigators police were expected to use the latest DNA technology in their investigation. There was no new information gleaned from those interviews, though. It was reported in September of 2016 that the investigation into John JonBenet's death continued to be an active homicide case per Boulder Police. And then in 2015, Beckner disagreed with exonerating the Ramsey stating... Exonerating anyone based on a small piece of evidence that has not yet been proved to even be connected to the entire crime is absurd. Which, honestly, I agree.
0: Yeah, I feel like at this point it's like, well, you can't, you still can't fully rule them out that they might have been involved in some capacity.
1: Right. But you also can't say just because this paintbrush belonged to Patsy that they were involved. Yeah, you know,
0: like it just one one little bit of evidence doesn't necessarily exonerate them or incriminate them in any direction, which is so frustrating about this case. It's like I want it to be like, there's the definitive piece of, mm-hmm. of evidence like that proves that they're guilty or not guilty.
1: Exactly. But... Beckner also stated that the unknown DNA from John Bonet's clothing has got to be the focus for the investigation. And at that point in time, no one could prove anything otherwise. He believed that the suspect is the donator of that unknown DNA. Then in 2016, a former investigator for Boulder County District Attorney Office also questioned total absolution of the Ramsey, stating, we all shed DNA all the time within our skin cells. It can be deposited anywhere at any time for any reason. Reasons that are benign. To clear somebody just on the premise of touch DNA, especially when you have a situation where the crime scene wasn't secure to begin with, it really is a stretch. A forensic psychiatrist hired by Boulder authorities later said that the public exoneration of the Ramseys was a big slap in the face to Chief Beckner and to the core group of detectives who've been working so hard for so many years. So Chris, you've been writing my tale about the theories. So here you go. Uh,
0: it's it's so like it it's I think this is one of the reasons why I think it's uh a, such a long-lived case is mm-hmm. because I think everyone likes to play Sherlock Holmes and try and and figure it out, piece together the clues and present a possibility of what might have happened so
1: yes well there are absolutely. many theories and we're yes. going to touch on the most popular ones okay one of the major theories uh, involving john Binet's death is that the family members were involved boulder police initially concentrated almost exclusively upon patsy and john According to retired profiler with the FBI, statistically, it's a 12 to 1 probability that it's a family member or a caregiver who is involved in the homicide of a child, which is really sad.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and and it is really, uh, you know, there's actually a case that was just in the news I heard about yesterday, I think, um, that a little girl was abducted by a delivery driver. So total stranger. And what uh, the statistics on that is like strangers abducting children is like 0.1% of like child abductions. Like it's, uh, it's so small, but that's, I, those are the ones that we remember. Like we think stranger danger. Um, Mm -hmm. But we realize that the, the vast majority of, kidnappings happen from somebody who knows the family or is a family member i mean i think of every time i see an amber alert it's oftentimes like
1: uh, it's an estranged parent
0: yeah and it, yeah a lot of that's a very common one mm-hmm. where an estranged parent will take the child or something like yeah. that so we look at the statistics and i mean oftentimes you have to just look at what is the most likely situation
1: Mm hmm. So going off the family theory, the police saw no evidence of a forced entry, but they did see evidence of staging, such as the ransom note. They did not find the Ramseys cooperative in helping them solve the death of their young daughter. The Ramseys had said that their uh, reluctance was due to their fear that there would be not a full investigation for intruders and that they would be hastily selected as the key suspects.
0: I think that's a little weird I mean I get the the fear but I I I really think that you should believe that like okay like if you truly have nothing to do with this you've got nothing to hide
1: right but often innocent people go to prison so I get it that's true one of the major theories about the family is that Patsy struck John Binet in a fit of rage after a bedwetting episode, and strangled her to cover up what had happened. After she had already thought that um, John Binet had died from the blow. However, Patsy did not have any known history of uncontrolled ang- anger. John Binet's brother later said, "We did not get spanked, nothing of the sort, nothing close." Nothing near laying a finger on us, let alone kill one of their own children.
0: Also, I think uh, like Patsy is is very much like living her living out her beauty queen fantasy through yes. her daughter, like continuing her her reign, shall we say? Uh, like you would think that that um, she wouldn't want to jeopardize that in any way.
1: You would think that, but something else that I've heard over the years is that if it was Patsy, and yes, she was living vicariously through her daughter, could she also have been jealous of her daughter? Ooh, okay,
0: I could see that too.
1: So theoretically, the strangulation could have been a red herring aspect to conceal other elements of the probable sexual assault and killing. Burke, uh, her brother, who was nine years old at the time, was interviewed by investigators at least three times. The first two interviews did not raise any concerns. A review by a child psychologist stated that it appeared that the Ramseys had a, quote, healthy, caring family relationship. In 1998, Boulder Police Chief said during an interview with a news reporter that Burke Ramsey was not involved in the killing of his sister. In May of 1999, the Boulder County District Attorney reiterated that Burke Ramsey was not a suspect. The investigators had never considered him one. The Ramseys offered a $100,000 reward in a newspaper ad dated April 27, 1997. Three days later, more than four months after the body of their daughter was found, They submitted the first time to separate formal interviews at the Boulder County Justice Center. In 1999, Colorado governor spoke out, telling the Ramsey couple to, quote, quit hiding behind their attorneys, quit hiding behind their PR firm. A Colorado grand jury voted in 1999 to indict the parents. The indictment cited, quote, two counts each of child abuse and said the parents, quote, did unlawfully, knowingly, recklessly, and feloniously permit a child to be unreasonably placed in a situation that posed a threat of injury to the child's life or health, which resulted in the death of John JonBenet Ramsey, a child under the age of 16.
0: Gosh, that seems like a, re- a really tough thing to prove, though. With- it does. It yeah.
1: Does. Among the experts who testified in that case were DNA specialist Barry Sheck and forensic expert Henry Lee. In October of 1999, um, Alex Hunter, who was a district attorney at the time, refused to sign the indictment saying that the evidence was insufficient for prosecution. The public thought the grand jury investigation had been inconclusive. And in 2002, as mentioned earlier, those statute limitations expired. The case of John JonBenet Ramsey, a show broadcast on CBS in September of 2016, used a group of experts to evaluate the evidence. The group theorized that Burke hit his sister in the head with a heavy object, most likely a flashlight, after she stole a piece of pineapple from his bowl. Perhaps not intending to kill her, but just some, you know, child sibling rivalry. They suggest that the ransom letter was an attempt to cover up the circumstances of Binet's death and that their parents orchestrated the whole event to protect their son. On behalf of Burke Ramsey, his counsel filed defamation lawsuits against CBS, the producers of the program, and several of its participants based on many of its claims.
0: I feel like, okay, where did this whole flashlight theory come from? Like, was there a damaged flashlight recovered or? There
1: was a flashlight in the room. Okay. She was found. But again, did they take that into evidence? Did they check it for anything? No.
0: So it seems kind of like a really, like a real reach of a theory.
1: Yes, very much so. So another main theory, which looked like from the very beginning with that ransom note was the intruder theory. The police and prosecutors followed leads for intruders partly due to the unidentified boot mark left in the basement room where John Binet's body was found. This boot mark did not match any of the boots that the Ramseys owned, or at least any of the boots that were in their home. Early persons of interest included their neighbor, Bill McReynolds, who played Santa Claus, Chris Wolf, a local reporter whose then-girlfriend reported him as a suspect. The family housekeeper, Linda Hoffman. A man named Michael Helgoth, who died in an apparent suicide just after JonBenet's death.
0: That's suspicious.
1: Uh-huh. And then hundreds of DNA tests were performed to find the match for that DNA recovered during her autopsy. In the 2003 defamation lawsuit related to the case involving the Ramses, publicly identifying an early suspect in the case, Judge E. Carnes wrote, There is virtually no evidence to support plaintiff's theory that they, the Ramses, murdered their child, but abundant evidence to support that the Ramses believed that an intruder entered their home at some point during the night of December 25th, 1996, and killed their daughter. Lead detectives assessed the evidence and concluded that an intruder had committed the crime. On the night John Binet was murdered, there had been two windows that were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the outside Christmas lights to pass through. A broken basement window was found and one unlocked door. A theory was that someone entered the Ramseys' home through the broken basement window. Critics have questioned this theory because there was an intact cobweb in the basement window.
0: Mm, Yeah, like if you're crawling through a basement window, you're You're not avoiding cobwebs. Yeah, you're going to be taking it all with you, I'm afraid.
1: Mm. Also, the steel grate that cover the window had undisturbed cobwebs as well, and the foliage around the grate had been undisturbed. There were also cobwebs in the tracks of various windows and dust and debris on some window sills. Smith believed that the intruders subdued Jeannine using a stun gun and took her down to the basement. She then was Okay, killed I feel
0: like you would have you would have heard a yelp or a scream if they used a stun gun on a child,
1: unless she was sleeping.
0: I don't know. It just I feel like there would have been some sort of noise.
1: Maybe, but, I mean, think about how tiny a six-year-old child is. That's true. That electrical force is going to affect that child, you know, ten times more than it would a grown adult. So she may easily be incapacitated with a quick shock. hmm So after taking her to the basement, that is where she was unfortunately murdered and the ransom note was written. This theory was supported by former FBI agent John Douglas, who had been hired by the Ramsey family. Believing that the Ramseys were innocent, um, many FBI um, employees resigned from the investigation in September of 1998, five days after the grand jury was convened against the Ramseys. Author Stephen Singular in his book Presumed Guilty refers to the consultations with cybercrime specialists to argue John Binet attracted the attention of pedophiles affiliated with the child pageant scene. Which, again, I think pageants do hypersexualize young children, and I can understand where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, like you said, Little children doing swimsuit competitions, like
1: something's not roll. right. Something is not right.
0: Yeah, where yeah, it's like you're being you're literally judging them by how they look in a swimsuit. Mm-hmm. That's like look at yourselves there. Like look at the mirror here.
1: <laughs> um. So, author Singular further believed that the investigation was overly focused on the Ramsey parents hampering investigation to alternative scenarios, and that the Ramseys were not responsible for the murder other than perhaps unwittingly exposing their daughter to sexual predators. Which, if that was the case, I could only imagine the heartbreak the Ramsey parents would feel. Mm -hmm. It was determined that there had been more than 100 burglaries in the Ramseys' neighborhood in the month before John Binet's murder. There were 38 registered sex offenders living within a two-mile radius of her home as well. In 2001, former Boulder County prosecutor Trip DeMuth and Boulder County Sheriff's detective stated that there should be a more aggressive investigation to the intruder theory. One of the individuals identified as a suspect was Gary Howard Oliva, who was arrested for two counts of attempted sexual exploitation of a child and one count of sexual exploitation of a child. That was in June of 2016. Oliva was a registered sex offender and was publicly identified as a suspect in October of 2002.
0: Wow. This is just crazy, some of this stuff, where I'm like, like the fact that it's uh that so many burglaries like break-ins happened in that area is astounding to me like that seems unusually high plus uh-huh. it's happening around christmas time when it's like yeah of course there's like tons of of like new high priced things to steal i'm mm-hmm. sure because everybody's got their christmas gifts out like right that is uh usually there's a spike in break-ins Around the holidays, because people have stuff laying around all over the place.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And people are desperate. Right. Around the holidays sometimes. Exactly. And so with all those break-ins, with their known child predators in the area, with an unknown boot, DNA that can't be matched back to the family, but it is a male. um, it, It does make sense. It's a it's a good theory, mm-hmm. but so is the theory of the family being the only ones at home, and and no signs of a break in exactly yeah. And then, just to make things a little bit more interesting, we had a false confession. Ooh, which I didn't know about until researching this. Alexis Valerian Reich, known as John Mark Carr. Was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand, of August fifteenth of two thousand six, following a false confession to murdering John Binet. Reich was a forty-one year old school teacher, and claimed that she drugged, sexually assaulted, and accidentally killed John Binet. According to CNN, authorities also said they did not find any evidence linking Reich to the crime scene. In the confession, Rake had provided only basic facts that were publicly known and failed to provide any additional convincing details. The claim that John Binet was drugged further cast doubt on the confession because the autopsy indicated no drugs were found in her body. That's a big thing where like, Mm -hmm. there's always like,
0: if you truly were the perpetrator, you would know certain things and like, you would Remember if you did or did not use something like a right. substance to drug her with, and when the autopsy results don't match what you're saying, it's like okay, you're bsing me.
1: Exactly. Um, and furthermore, her DNA did not match the DNA found on John and Bennet's body, so that's kind of a red flag too.
0: Yeah, it's like okay, there's. Something isn't matching up here.
1: hmm And then in October of 2006, uh, Rake sent an email to Bill Hammonds of Bill's List, which I'm not quite sure what Bill's List is, but it was seeking a literary agent to help publish a manuscript that some might find controversial. It sounds like
0: something like... Uh... <laughs>
1: Like a Craigslist
0: or a uh, Angie's list, you right. know? <laughs> like trying to find uh,
1: people to to do
0: jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. So rake later sent emails under numerous pen names, including Daxis, the Conqueror, dirk perns, d r k p r n z, and just Alexis. Rake later changed her legal name from John Mark Carr to Alexis Valorian Rake after coming out as transgender. Samantha Spiegel alleged Rake only intended to undergo gender reassignment surgery to get closer to younger girls in a child sex cult called the Immaculates, which that's all I'm going to say about that because that's that's all like hearsay yeah that's... and also i don't want the narrative that transgender people are predators in any way um are there right, transgender I think predators yes does a person being transgender make them a predator no yeah i hate when that
0: happens where it's like uh like doing like if there is a single person out there who has done that it it just poisons the well for all of the legitimate people out there who it are does. just to like match the match, how they feel on the inside is how they look on the outside. Exactly. And it's sick that anybody would ever think to use something like that for nefarious purposes. And it's, it's very upsetting.
1: Right. Can someone, yes, they sure can, but can a cis heterosexual church-going father of three be just as demented as well of course Mm -hmm. so that's why you can never you can't do a blanket judgment of
0: a whole group of people just by the actions of one person in that group
1: exactly um so obviously this theory did not pan out uh it was pretty pretty much proven that Alexis Rake did not murder uh Binet. And as of then, that was kind of the last lead that they had, Um, and it's just been a cold case since. Now, there have been many, many defamation lawsuits coming out of this. Obviously, the media painted John, Patsy, and even Burke as these vicious killers who killed their own daughter, covered up a murder, Um, then also the police departments, the Boulder police department were under scrutiny for the way they mishandled the case uh the fbi was under scrutiny for the way they mishandled the case um it was a very sloppy investigation i feel like there's just a lot of unanswered questions like whose bootprint is that mm-hmm. um whose dna is that was she actually sexually assaulted or was it you know honestly was it a minor accident by being a kid you know kids aren't the most graceful so was there sexual assault i do think there was but we can't prove that because there's no one there to give that definitive yes or no just like there's no one coming forward to say that yeah i gave john vanay that pineapple or why was it Patsy's letterhead and Patsy's pen that were used to write that obscurely long note at the crime scene? Mm -hmm. It's just, there's so many unanswered questions, and unfortunately, I think it's going to take a deathbed confession for there to be an answer of who killed John JonBenet Ramsey. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Unfortunately, uh, you know, Patsy's gone, so whatever information that she had if she does have any information went with her um, right
0: it really makes me wonder you know had had she not died if her conscience would have caught up with her if she knew something mm-hmm. Um. but what i think is really interesting is i mean so John Ramsey is still around. Yes. And I know he I believe he even got remarried and I think he moved to Michigan and uh even tried to run for Congress or something which Well I think that's it, where their vacation home was. It was up in Michigan. Yeah. And 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 so I guess because he had a residence there he could potentially run for office there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, It was not successful,
1: from what I heard. Well, I mean, he doesn't have the best reputation,
0: right? Yeah, I I don't think politics is the best game for him to get into at this. You know, even you now, decades after this strange, mysterious death of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- I just think that one of one of the things that has been so tough to swallow with this case is that the Ramsey parents were very uh they were very like in the media a lot at the time and yes they granted yes you want to be present and find who's guilty of killing your daughter but every interview they seemed to do it just seemed a little weird it seemed a little over the top sometimes um I know there's been lots of criticism of uh, Patsy Ramsey's initial 911 call
1: as as sounding very like it's I you can listen to the 911 call and yeah. it it doesn't sound genuine. I will yeah. say that. It
0: sounds like somebody who's like trying to act. I, yes. I, I it's like, like
1: bad acting.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people hear that. And then they see how they acted in the in the public eye, uh, and it all just seems very suspicious. So, what I think is most
1: likely. I, do you want to say this on record? <laughs> do you want to get sued?
0: <laughs> <laughs> the um, this. So here's my theory: is that. You know, so I'm not saying that this is what happened. So, like, hopefully that protects me from from, uh, any kind of libel. Because I'm not saying that this is a definitive answer. Um, I think that sometime in the middle of the night, the kids got up. They were snacking on pineapple. I think somebody who was known to the family may have entered the house because, you know, think if, you know, it's later at night, if the there's a knock on the door and the kids are up, they hear the knock on the door and they see it's somebody that they're familiar with. Of course, they're going to let them in. And that would, I think that would explain why there wasn't any kind of forced entry. Um, or it could be somebody who had a key to the house. So uh, again, it could be somebody well well known to the family um and i think you know whatever happened with the crime that this this person this unknown person the person whose dna was found but they can't identify it um i think that they were probably the ones responsible for killing them killing jamonet um but whoever is responsible must have some sort of powerful position or, you know, have some reason why the Ramseys would want to protect them. And I think the Ramseys did somehow participate in the cover-up. I think if they're guilty of anything, that's what they're guilty of. I don't think that they murdered their daughter, but I think they are protecting somebody. And I think that's, to me, feels like the most likely situation.
1: Um. So, yes, I agree with you that I believe the Ramsey family knows who did it. hmm Well, I don't know. Was that person or is that person a ramsey themselves Mm -hmm. and that's all i'm going to say as far as my theory goes i do have a pretty solid theory of what i think happened um and i think there's a cover-up going on for one of their own and not gonna name names uh but that's what i think and unfortunately as i mentioned patsy's gone and from everything I found, John father, John, and her brother, Burke, they pretty much refuse to talk about it to this day, which I yeah. don't blame them. They went yeah. through hell. Mm-hmm. Whether, or not, whether or not they are 100% innocent or 100% guilty, they went through hell. So I don't blame them for not wanting to talk about it. But I just wish if they know something, they would say something.
0: Yeah, I mean, so much time has gone by and and how you could let somebody who is responsible for taking the life of this beautiful little girl who if if she were alive today would be like a contemporary of us like she would be around our age.
1: She was born in 1990. She would be she'd be a
0: year younger than me.
1: She's two years younger than me,
0: so I guess, oh, we just gave away our mm. our age. I don't think we've ever
1: <laughs> let's see if our listeners can do math uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she definitely I think that's why I mean, I remember hearing about this case when I was in elementary school, and mm-hmm. I think it's because. She was one of us. like Exactly, yeah. She was a kindergartner. I was in second grade. I was seeing someone that I'd play on the playground with all over the news. Every magazine cover, every newspaper. This beautiful girl looked like she could be my friend. And at a young age, I'd known that she was murdered. Mm -hmm. Because it was just no escaping it. It was everywhere. For good reason, too. I think every murderer should get this type of attention. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, there you have it. It was, yeah, that is, it's a biggie, uh, big case.
0: It's, it's been, uh, like you said, it's been, it's been covered, it's been kind of rehashed. It's, you know, every once in a while, it seems like a little crumb or some possibility comes up, but we never get the full answer. Um, uh, right. I mean, this is, a like a pop culture case because it has proliferated for so long. I would love it if we could get some answers. But like you said, I, you know, is it going to take a deathbed confession from someone like John Ramsey that like he'll finally reveal that he actually does know something or I don't know. I would love it if we could get a hit on that DNA. I feel right. like every every now and then we get one of those like, oh, somebody submitted uh, like an ancestry DNA sample and somehow that got a hit somewhere else. I don't know. I think that th- that's always fascinating when that happens. Um, and in fact, in the true crime book that I'm reading right now, um, DNA oh. plays a big part in that. I'm hoping that that will be part of my next episode that I am gonna do. Um, but yeah, the the DNA evidence is very fascinating how that all works. Yes, it sure is.
1: <sighs> all right. Well there you have it. Uh that is the unsolved murder of John benet Ramsey and kick off to our Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa season. <laughs> the the all the
0: winter holidays. Yes.
1: So. Um, but everyone, thank you for tuning in to listen. Um, if you have thoughts on this case, please feel to send them our way at dark and devious podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to see photos of sweet little John Bonet, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Dark and Devious Podcast. And um until next time, bye. bye.